0: On this edition of the Scott Radley Show podcast, we are talking about Tim Hortons and new plans for what they're going to do to try and turn their fortunes around. Things have not been going really well. And what are those plans? Massive increases in drive throughs and technology at drive throughs Is this the magic formula? Not just for Tim Hortons, but for a lot of companies. Could these new technologies be things that help Grow the business. We'll talk about that one. Also, talking with Dr. Jean Clinton. She is the author of a book called Love Builds Brains. It's a simple title. It's a simple concept. Is it really true? We're going to talk to the child psychiatrist who is known around the world about that one. Stick around.
1: Today on the Scott Radley Show on 900 CHML.
0: I speak of Marvin Ryder from the DeGroote School of Business, who uh, who I welcome into the show this evening. Marvin, thanks for doing this today.
1: Glad to be with you.
0: I don't know if you've ever had a Gregorian chant intro before, but it seemed appropriate today because a number of months, I guess, ago it was. I was thinking weeks, but it's a number of months ago now. You and I were talking about Tim Horton's earnings and how they were not good at that time, and they just came out again today, and they're not good again. And you said, and I remembered vividly, this is because people are not driving their cars and they're not going through the drive-through, and it's a drive-and-grab kind of food. And they're going to have to do something about that. Well, guess what? Today, Restaurant Brands International, which owns Tim Hortons, says it's going to be modernizing it, its drive throughs at more than 10,000 Burger Kings, Tim Hortons, and Popeyes outlets in North America. You, you can take a bow, Marvin. You, you got it even before they did.
1: <laughs> well, bless your heart. Uh, Scott, before I take that bow, can can I just talk about those numbers today that came out? When we last talked about this, this was the second quarter. That was from April 1st to June 30th. Disastrous quarter for Tim Hortons. Their revenues were down almost 49 or 40%, 39%, almost a 40% decline. Now, in this third quarter, I'm actually going to describe it as good news because their revenue compared to a year earlier was down 12%. 40% almost versus 12%. And it's not because of anything that Tim Hortons did. It's because we have gotten closer back to where we were before. Yes, some of us still aren't commuting to work. We're working from home. And no, some of the sports haven't started up again. But we are freer. We're able to travel more. and, And we're doing more grabbing and going. That alone was good news for Tim Hortons. So I think we have to look at that as a positive. But to your comment... Tim Hortons can't wait. He can't wait for whatever the new normal is going to look like, whether the new normal is the old normal. They've got to be proactive. And if I'm a stockholder, if I own their shares, and I hear that they're just sitting around doing nothing, I'm not going to be very happy. So today they came out, as you said. uh, First, they they cheered about Popeyes. Popeyes had 17% growth in the third quarter. Again, not surprising, because even if we were locked down, we could order food for dinner We don't tend to order that from Tim Hortons, but we might very well order it from Popeye's, so it's done very well. But the Burger King, the the Tim Hortons down. So a couple of things you're going to see over the next probably six months to a year, maybe a year and a half, and we've already seen this in Hamilton. If you know a Tim Hortons that does not have any kind of a drive-through, it's likely going to close. For those that do have a drive through they're going to try to put in some new technology, allowing uh, you know, touchless pay, uh, do, ordering through your phone, maybe even smart boards that when you drive up to them recognize you and say, Oh, Scott doesn't order that kind of food, so we're not even going to put that up there on the board. We're going to put his favorite thing so that it makes it easier for you to place those orders Uh, using what they call artificial intelligence to understand consumers. It's great if they can do this. Now, the the story today said they're going to try to do it in 15 outlets this fall to test it out, expand it a bit more in January. You mentioned ultimately 10,000, but I'm not sure they're going to be able to do that in a year.
0: Couple things that I want to pick up on what you just said. First of all, the idea that a number of Tim Hortons might close, uh, gasp. We never see Tim Hortons closing. That's supposed to be the, the store that never closes. But I know that there was just one up, um, where was it? Up uh, just the other day I was reading about one that was, was closing. can't remember where it somewhere. is
1: now. I can't just quite tell you where.
0: Oh, I know where it was. It was up on, uh, across from Limeridge Mall, I think, in the uh, t- in the Toys R Us Plaza. That one closed, which always seemed busy to me. But the other thing, um, y- you talk about the, the driving through and it's somehow going to, I guess, with your, your gift card or I don't know if it's your car or your license or whatever. It, 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 are we getting into the little bit of creepy territory when the menu knows what you want to order before you even get there?
1: Well, yes welcome welcome to 2020 i know well, i know it's all a little creepy these these websites what have you are getting so darn smart you kind of wonder at what point your refrigerator is going to say no you can't eat that because that's not on your diet scott right now you have control of the refrigerator but in the future the refrigerator may control you well yes and this is all again thanks to smartphone technology so you know your your uh, tim horton's um uh, card, your loyalty card, Whoa, that's all old technology. Plastic cards, no, 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 no. We'll put that all on your phone, so when you drive up, it recognizes your phone, it knows who you are, it knows what you've ordered, what you like, what you don't like. And yeah, that that can get a little creepy. We know, we've talked about this before as well, that with those smartphone apps, they're not just on when you think they're on, they're on right. even when you're not thinking you're on. So they're tracking you moving around, and they might well notice that You know, you've been heading a little more often to uh, Starbucks, so suddenly uh, Tim Hortons might change again the offering, not just based on what you've ordered in the past, but what they think you might be ordering from a competitor. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML.
0: Marvin, we're talking about drive-thrus and Tim Hortons and their plans and Restaurant Brands International to update 10,000 new or updated drive-thrus. I did think, though, when I saw this story, is this a knee-jerk reaction? Because presumably at some point we're going to get back to some kind of normal. Is this just them saying, my goodness, we got to do something, and this is the best we can come up with right now? Or or does this have long-standing benefits to them?
1: Yeah, I don't think it's an either-or proposition. I think it is a bit of a knee-jerk. And, and although the headline talked about 10,000 stores, if you read through the details, they're only planning to try this out in 15 15- come this fall. And I think I, 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 people maybe don't always realize this, but I think the best companies from a business standpoint are always tinkering, always trying, seeing what works, seeing what doesn't. And I often say to people, don't worry about a failure. A failure is a way you learn what's working and what's not working. It's better to do that and sit back and not do any experimenting at all. So I think I think some of this experimenting is, again, Tim Horton's trying to find out what what their future is going to look like. We've accused them in the past of being very, very slow to innovate. Remember the roll-up, the rimmed contest that broke your thumbs as you were trying to do it. <laughs> is that still the best you can do in 2020? Maybe some digital version. So I, I give them credit for trying, but come at this slightly differently. Here's something that you, know, you wouldn't even have expected me to mention, but you've heard of this stuff called 5G technology in yes. smartphones. We want to deploy 5G networks, and these networks are super fast. Well, why do they need to be super fast? Because we want to share lots and lots of information just as quickly as we can. 5G networks, for instance, enable the self-driving car because you can be checking your position, monitoring other cars around you. Can't do that with 4G technology or 3G. You need these big pipelines of data to make that happen. And another great example is in the fast food world, Do you want your fast food company to know who you are, uh, anticipate your needs, and react so that you can be even faster in getting through things? Um, I use the example that they know who you are, they know what you're – Favorite foods are, so let's customize the menu that way. If you call Uber and you say, I want something delivered, they say, Well, the last time we delivered it here, would you like it going there? The whole idea is to be seen as serving you, the individual, better rather than doing this in a broad brush stroke. We call it micro marketing, a target market of just one person, and that's you.
0: And we already see that if you go online and you've purchased something from Home Depot or Best Buy or something, your credit card is still on their site. So, I mean, it's not totally foreign. No. But I did wonder, also Marvin, as we were, as I was thinking about this, and as you're talking about it, is there any upside? Is there any application here if this is successful? If, if updating the drive-through works and making it really quick, so you can just blast through, are there applications for companies other than fast food in this? Because you know, if if we've got two options now that people seem to want, which is, as you say, driving around quickly or getting stuff delivered to your home, could you apply this to? Electronics, could you apply this to other things that might work?
1: Yeah, I'm going to say yes. Uh, So you have to look at the interface. Uh, I I don't like to sound like a dinosaur, but once upon a time I used to go to a bank and I spoke to a teller. (laughs) Today, so many of these transactions are either being done at an automatic teller machine, an ATM, or even done through your smartphone. Well, what if I could make it even easier so that even your rarer transactions like your RRSP or your TFSA payment? You tend to only put those in once a year, but they would still know those and could make it fast and easy for you to do this. Um, Transit is another great example. If we're moving everybody away from tickets to the Presto card, right now I would tell you that Presto card is pretty low-tech, but I could imagine a future Presto card that, again, anticipates your travel patterns, Uh, is trying to get ahead of you in some ways to make the whole process go faster. I think, again, once we deploy more of this 5G and we have these big data pipelines, trust me, all of the world's companies are going to try to find ways to share more information in the name of serving you better. They're not trying to do this nefariously. They're trying to do it to serve you better because if they serve you better, you may spend more of your money with them. At some point, though, I think this whole question of privacy, as you raised a moment ago, starts to come back. And do I really want everyone to know me that well? Do I really want them yeah, to know
0: that,
1: yeah. you know, Tuesday night I tend to visit my mistress in, in the water down, You're already planning to ship food there. I don't think I want you to know that. Uh, that will become the next challenge for us.
0: I, I, I assume that was not autobiographical. No, that was just, one. <laughs> uh, yeah, one other thing, Marvin, just before we go and that is, do you believe it seems logical, but do you believe that the easier we make it for people with things on your phone that you can, again, just drive through and tap or just drive through and not even have to tap at some point, you're just going through and say, will people spend more money the easier it gets to spend money?
1: Yes. The bottom line is Yes. Um simple example when we had cash and I had to reach into my pocket to pull out a $5 bill I thought about that more than I did a coin so when we got rid of the dollar bill and the $2 bill and replaced them with coins People spend it more easily. Now that we move to debit, for instance, and the money comes out of your bank account, you don't even really think about it. Whereas if you had to fish into your wallet and pull out 520s to pay for something, you say, ooh, that seems a little pricey. The more we make this just little beeps and boops and bops, the more money you're going to be willing to spend. And, you know, again, to be candid, we Canadians have a little problem with our spending. You know, most of us are still in debt. The average debt load is a dollar sixty-four. I think it is, for every dollar that we earn. You know, a little restraint. But that's not what business is trying to do. They're going to make it easier and easier and easier. That's going to put more and more pressure on you, the individual, to take control. And I'm just not sure everyone's ready for that.
0: Marvin Ryder from the degroot School of Business, the great predictor of all things. Well, I don't know we even know what your next prediction will be, but I wait eagerly to find out what it may I'll be. Get my mommy um, had out. That's right. Thank thank you for the well. I'll predict you'll be back on here before too long. There's a prediction. There we Appreciate go. it, Marvin. We can, Thanks we for can doing this. That one. Take care
1: for now. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML.
0: There is a new book that has been released, and it has a very I found a very fascinating, very simple but very fascinating topic that I would love to believe is true. I would love to believe this is true. And we're going to find out in a moment if it is, but the name of the book, and it's about development, child development and family development, love builds brains. Think about that one for just a second. Love builds brains. I was always told drink three glasses of milk a day and that would grow brains, but, or was that hair on your chest? I can't remember. It was one or the other, but nonetheless, love builds brains is is it that simple? The author of the book is a McMaster professor. She is a child psychiatrist. She is renowned all over the place for her work in that. Her name is Dr. Jean Clinton. She joins us now. Dr. Clinton, thanks for your time today.
2: Oh, hi, Scott. I'm so happy to be with you. And of course, it's true. Love builds brains. Milk well, builds tell me. Bones. I know. That's true. I know. I, I, this
0: is why I didn't go into medicine because I couldn't keep those two (laughs) things straight. Uh, although my osteoporosis never kicked in. So maybe that was a good thing. Um, tell me about this. I mean, let's just start right there. Three words. Is that, is it really that simple?
2: Well, you know, it's that simple and it's that complex. What we know now that we didn't know, well, maybe our grandmothers knew, but didn't know what to call it, that, what we know now is that the, build, the building of the brain is really not about genes as much as it is about the experiences that infants and toddlers and now even now adolescents have that the experiences that they have particularly through positive relationships actually turns their brain cells their neurons on to connect with each other to fire up and wire up together And that quite literally, love builds the architecture of the brain, builds the architecture of how we're going to learn, how healthy we're going to be. So quite literally, it is all about our relationships, our connections, and it builds the brain.
0: So if I'm understanding what you're saying, then, you're not talking on a metaphysical or intellectual or something level. You're saying literally with the physiology of the brain, those connections early in life, those relationships and experiences help to construct your brain better.
2: That's exactly right. That it is the, uh, our genes are a blueprint, but the genes are listening to the environment to see which experiences come in, which ones are turning on the neurons, the brain cells, connecting them all up. And so if it's a great, experience environment with loving, nurturing, predictable environments, lots of reading to babies and toddlers, then those brains wire up to have strong muscular kind of connections. But if it's maltreatment, if it's neglect, then those areas, this use it or lose it kind of principle, um, are affected but it's not just in the early years what's really important in one of the chapters in my book talks about the adolescent years as well where the brain is very much under construction and it's relationships it's what kids and adolescents are very busy involved in that's literally sculpting and building their brains so relationships and connections matter throughout life
0: Why I find that somewhat surprising is, I mean, it it makes sense at the same time we would think of physical activities affecting physical things. So if you go to the gym and you work out, you're lifting something physically to build muscles. Or if you're doing something to destroy your brain, you know, drinking too much or too much drugs or whatever, it's a physical thing. It seems almost unbelievable that something that's not physical can have a physical impact.
2: Yeah. Isn't that amazing? And it's absolutely, you've nailed it. Experiences. Build the brain. It's those relationships, those connections that light up the brain cells uh, that that build. It. It's not exactly muscle, but it is those connections, uh, super highways of connections that get built by the environmental supports that parents and kids have create those experiences that do that uh, that do that building. Yeah, yeah, and so we know. That um, we want to be creating the optimal experiences, but we also know that stress in kids' lives hmm. really interfere with that, uh, with inter- interfere with that development. So there's,
0: a wanna, there's a lot I want to. There's a lot I want to get to, but let me just jump ahead, and I, I probably should do this at the end, but because it seems like the last thing to ask, but. Is it repairable? If you've had a childhood that has been not very good, or if for whatever reason you're a, you know, a parent and you haven't done a great job with your kid, is it possible to rewire and fix that with good relationships later?
2: Oh, fantastic question, Scott! And the absolute answer is yes, you can. That repair in relationships literally re-sculpts and changes the brain. The power of one person. And I'm sure you can think of some of your friends and maybe even your own life of one adult, one coach, one teacher, one parent, one auntie that made a difference believing in you to change that pathway. So absolutely, it's never, so I'm a child psychiatrist for over 30 years and my experience has been it's never too late for kids. We can never give up on kids and you know maybe if we haven't had the best experience so far for our kids we can repair we can start over and say what can i do today to have my kids recognize that i love them that i can connect with them and that i'm going to start a pathway of connecting with them before i'm correcting them you're
1: listening to the scott radley show podcast on 900 chml
2: We are chatting with Dr. Jean
0: Clinton. She is the author of Love Builds Brains. She's a renowned child psychiatrist at McMaster University. And the premise of the book, if you were just joining us now, what she explained just a moment ago, is that love and relationships literally can cause the brain to develop in a better way, in a positive way for children. And secondly, that you can repair brains. You can repair a brain, make it better, and have those connections build up even if you didn't start off all that well. And Dr. Clinton, that leads me to an obvious question then. And I dare say that um, if we have a child, particularly who is having a tough time, psychiatric time or behavior or whatever, I, I, I don't want to throw your colleagues under the bus, but it seems like many people, many doctors, many psychiatrists are very quick to medicate to try and fix the problem. If you're correct and if we can do this simply by better relationships, why not do that first?
2: Well it's a great question. It's a great question and it's a challenging question because what I'm talking about is neuroplasticity. That's what we call it the brain changing by experience. And so many of us in the field of child psychiatry really go to go deeply into see what are the contexts that children's behavior are occurring in. That every behavior has a reason. So very often what we see with misbehavior is that it's really stress behavior, that the kids are responding to things in their environment, and when you change the environment, for many kids, it absolutely makes a difference. So that's that stress detective that's really required for kids with behavior challenges. But there are many kids who have biology whether it's family history of, of attentional or anxiety problems, who their life is absolutely changed by having medications brought on board. So in my field, what's really important is that you do comprehensive, not just checklist assessment, but really deep analysis. And what we're finding is that there are many more children who are experiencing trauma And when the brain has been traumatized, the alert system, the watch out, be on guard, is firing so much. It looks like ADHD. It looks like lots of Mm. things. So we really need to be digging deep into uh, into young people and children's symptoms and really understanding the context of what's happening. Because the experiences are literally building that brain. I hope that makes sense, Scott.
0: Well, it, it does, but it, it also leads to a very, we, we live in a complicated time to try and resolve that because I mean, how many kids now come home or are on their cell phone or on the computer or on TV or com- whatever, and parents are the same. We we don't live in the 1950s or 60s when everybody came home for dinner and looked at each other and talked to each other and had those relationships. We, we live in a virtual world. I'm guessing that impacts the ability to have these brain building relationships.
2: Absolutely, and it's a, it's a big worry of, uh, of many of us, not just in the mental health field, but I'm sure in your field as well, where we worry about what, in the, in the chapter that uh, I, I've written on, on the digital world, talking about that in the interfering of our development of relationship because of technology. And so um, it really makes us ask, parents and ask ourselves how much are we on these devices and are we interfering with that basic drive that we have as humans we are a social species our brain is absolutely wired to connect and are we creating challenges and seeing escalating anxiety Because kids are too much on their devices, parents are too much on their devices, and we're not actually building that serve and return, that back and forth of social engagement that we know for millennia is what is required for us to develop.
0: Does it have to be, um, when you talk about these relationships, does it have to be family? Is there something special about family that makes it better?
2: Or could it be anyone? Questions. Absolutely, so important for many families these days, and I would say particularly in our in our pandemic and COVID uh, times, the stress is so great that families are are just holding on by their fingernails, and it's why it's so important that we think about how are we making sure that we are physically distanced but socially connected. So how can other family members, other coaches, other uh, important adults reach out and build and make those connections? And it doesn't need to be some profound, big, long conversation, but a small dose effect of how are you doing? A text. I'm thinking of you. Send a smiley face. Makes such a huge difference. For, because the uh, let me ju-
0: sorry just interrupt for a second but just yeah, because yeah. when you talk about family if you let's say you don't have a great relationship with your kid or your parents but you're really worried about your kid's development is it can you rest easy if at least you say okay but at least they've got two or three really close friends that they are dealing with and they're close with and they're talking with or is there something different with that compared to mom or dad or siblings well
2: so that's uh, that's a challenging question so one is absolutely imperative that there are important close connections but it's also very important to recognize the essential role that parents you know those who we have or potentially have our most intimate relationships with so on the one hand I say yeah it's great to have other relationships but on the other hand I say how can you analyze and figure out how can you can have that meaningful relationship with your, own, with your own child as well? So do you know what I mean there, Scott? It's not giving up and passing over, but always thinking about what's my role, what's my responsibility, how can I connect and make that a significant relationship? Even if it is just once every often, every so often you're sending out a text that says, I'm thinking about you, I care about you, you matter to me.
0: It's, uh, it's very, very fascinating stuff. If you've got young kids, uh, teenage kids, if you're just interested in this stuff, the book is called, and it's very easy to remember. You, you've done a good job of choosing a name nobody can forget. Love Builds Brains. Uh, I'm sure you can find it on, uh, you know, stores. I'm sure you can find it online and download it, whatever. Uh, Dr. Jean Clinton is her name. Doctor, thanks for taking the time today. Appreciate it.
2: You're very welcome. And, and you know, it's printed by my good friends at Tall Pine Press. And that's that's the best place, the easiest and quickest way to get it. And they're a small Canadian, uh, just doing a plug-in for small Canadian publishing companies, Tall Pine Press.
0: Thank you so much for the time. Appreciate it.
2: Well, thank you so much, Scott. I really appreciate it. Thank you.
1: The Scott Radley Show, weekday evenings from six to eight on 900 CHML.